0: Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One Podcast. And look, this is on me, guys. I delayed this episode a couple of days into the next week because selfishly I kind of wanted to watch the NBA Finals last week when Stone and I had agreed to do this podcast for the first time. But we're back and we're doing it right now. It's Tuesday evening here on the 6th, probably coming at you on Wednesday, June 7th. And this is going to be another one of our kind of prospect battles. Where we're breaking down tape of two prospects that – for both of us, seem to be very similar in terms of their positioning on our boards, but very different in terms of the players that they are. And that's Cam Whitmore out of Villanova and Anthony Black from Arkansas Stone. This is not your first time here on the podcast, but it's been way too long since we had you last. It's good to have you back here, my friend. How the hell
1: are you? Uh, It's great to be back. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm extremely tired, as I'm sure you and, and many other people who are in this space are. Uh, during this time of year, but, um, you know, it's it, it, the more pods being on, the more exciting it is. It's like, it just gets me hyped up for the draft.
0: Yeah. 16 days worth of pushing here. Stone. we can do it. We, <laughs> the finish line is in sight. We'll be able to get there. But for, for those of you who have followed the box one podcast and stuff before last week with Caitlin Cooper, was the first time we really dove into doing some film here and really appreciated the feedback many of you gave us. Loved that format. So, Stone and I are going to do the same thing. We're going to look at some clips and try to break down some tendencies, what we're seeing positive or, or things that we would want to improve from some of these prospects with Whitmore and Anthony Black. So, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is a really interesting tandem of prospects to have side by side because. I don't think you can find two guys who are really more different, right? Uh, I, I love to discuss each of these guys a little bit more first and then try to contextualize at the very end our preferences, some of the overarching philosophical differences that you might find or how you would draft with some of these players in particular. Does that sound good to you there, Stone?
1: Absolutely.
0: All right, so let's start here with Cam Whitmore. Uh, freshman out of Villanova, 18 years old, still will be 18 at the time of the draft, missed the beginning part of the season due to injury. I have the misfortune of watching him slam all over my basketball team last year because I coached against him twice uh, at the high school level, play in the same league that he went to high school in. Stone, as always, I kind of throw the floor over to the guest first. What are your initial thoughts, takeaways? How would you summarize Whitmore as a prospect?
1: Yeah. So, um, as you and me discussed before we got on how you're, like, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I fall on that end of the spectrum with him. Um, I think that he possesses a level of athleticism that is just unattainable, but for most people just with the amount of strength and the, in the amount of ways that he uses that strength, um, on both ends of the floor, really. Uh, I think that the, obviously, Jump out of the gym type stuff is there with him. The leaping ability, the one foot leaping ability, the two foot leaping ability, um, the ability to finish with either hand. I think he's really able to finish in a versatile amount of ways. He's not like a one dimensional type. Um, get to the rim and, and always get to your right hand off the glass or something. I think he can adjust in air. Um, I think the shooting. We'll get to the shooting probably, but to me, I'm I'm not necessarily a shot doctor, but I don't see anything glaringly wrong with it either. Um, I think the touch is good enough for me to buy it as being um, serviceable at the very least. So I think um, the amount of comfortability he shows with it as well just, just gives me that level of confidence that if he's confident in it, then I think uh, he's going to be able to get some of the reps he needs to develop that quite a bit. So. Um, i'm I'm all in on Whitmore in terms of you know I, I have him pretty high on my board, and I think uh he is a bit of a polarizing player, so it'll be interesting to get uh dive deep into him
0: and I am really high on Whitmore too and i I like a lot about you said what you said about the athleticism because I think that's where the conversation starts with a guy like cam the, the raw tools that he brings to the table, albeit a little bit unrefined right now, are really, really high level, and a lot of NBA teams can continue to develop him and work with those set of tools that he has. Not to mention the growth over the last 18 months as a jump shooter and in terms of the comfortability he has in kind of creating his own shot. And we'll watch a couple clips and examples of that on film, which may be for better or for worse what he needs to continue to do to improve some of that high-level shot making. But at its very core, you have to understand that a team that drafts Whitmore views a little bit of the floor with him as being just this hyper-athletic dude who can make plays in whatever context you kind of throw him into. And the highest level outcome is as a legitimate self-creator and a mismatch option that can just destroy so many different types of primary defenders that are on him. So what I want to do now is try to dive a little bit into some of the film clips that we have here and start with the real positives that we have with Cam Whitmore. So We'll stop and rewind any of the stuff as you feel need to. Here, Stone. Uh, actually, hang on there one second. I think that's the the wrong set of clips because I am technologically illiterate. All right, I starting here learn. with yeah, starting here with <laughs> the good stuff. With Cam Whitmore, uh, imposing athlete, and you'll see him number 22 for Villanova. He loves to drive left, but this type of rim pressure and athleticism is super, super rare. Villanova's offense, always known for being really well-spaced, allows Whitmore to get downhill when he attacks quickly off the catch, and that's going to be a theme of a lot of these clips that you're looking at here, is the quicker he can catch, make his decision to drive, and go at an open lane, He's almost unstoppable with both athleticism and pure power. Again, loves to drive to his left hand. I think Villanova put him in situations where they would clear out the lane to be able to let him go to the left, and you'll see that in a lot of these clips. He stands on the left wing and isolates there so he can see that refusal baseline. I mean, that is an incredibly quick move that he's able to get here to. I mean, before he goes from stop, to quick rip across his body, explode and get to the rim in two bounces. You can't really teach that stuff.
1: Yeah. And, and and you see the front foot, um, how quickly he's getting off of it, uh, putting that foot first. Uh, One thing I noticed with cam two right here, uh, you paused it perfectly is his first step um, is the longest generally. And he generates most of his power from that second, third and fourth step going to the rim. So he likes to get the advantage of space with that first step and then really just accelerate himself with those next couple steps subsequently uh, getting to the rim and, and making sure that uh, he's either finishing really strong uh, or he's going to draw a foul at the rim.
0: Yeah, He's the perfect kind of teaching point, and selfishly I, I probably will use clips like this for some of my own players in talking about how to attack off of the catch, whether it's running off of a closeout or once you pump fake and are driving past somebody. We always say you got two bounces to get to the rim separate and then control first bounce you've got to create as much separation from your man as you can the second bounce you are gaining control to go into your rim decision essentially are you going to try to score it or are you going to make a controlled kickout pass and Whitmore has unbelievable first step and then that control that allows him to launch up into some of these ridiculous dunks loves to refuse and rip baseline as we've talked about But that's a really quick crossover as well. So whether it comes Mm -hmm. from a first step and something that he's able to get to from a standstill or when the ball's already being put on the ground, that right-to-left cross creates a ton of separation and, I mean, help defenders really have no chance against him.
1: Yeah, and a common thing you see with players um, who are not on on Kim's level uh, doing this sort of thing is they, they cross fast, but their feet aren't as quick as the cross, right? They're, they're getting that cross really quickly, but their feet don't move quite as fast to be able to take advantage of how quick that cross really is. Uh, with Cam, I think he does both at the simultaneously, right? He's, his feet move at the same pace as that ball when he, he does that quick cross, uh, and he's able to continue that advantage that he makes with the cross without giving up any sort of um, advantage by not having his feet move that quickly. And he does that
0: by getting his hips pretty low. I mean, there are very few guys who have this type of power and explosion who can drop their hips when they drive in the way that Cam has. At 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, that's a really, really important thing for him to be able to do. So here he is, again, right wing of the floor. They run a lot of these brush ball screens, slip plays. Instead of trying to rise up and dunk, I want you to pay attention to how strong he is off of two feet, the way that he can either initiate or handle contact. Like this is – This is a kind of ridiculous play right here for just how he discards of a defender. Who's trying to stay in front of him. It's not an offensive foul. He's not lowering his shoulder too egregiously. He's not pushing off. He's just strong and controlled at getting to his spots. And when he gets there, there's just nobody that can kind of stand in his way, maybe a slight push off with that right arm, but nothing too egregious in that regard. And this clip is one of my favorites because he just bowls his shoulder into a stronger guy And continues to remain balanced. And he gets his hips so low to the ground. The the natural tools and athleticism that he works with is ridiculous. Look at that hop step. Just look at that ability to cross over in different ways. So power, explosion, one foot, two foot, open lane, closed lane where he's got to go through somebody's body. He can put pressure on the rim through it all.
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing you notice too is how reactive he is with the handle. Uh, I think this clip and then two clips before that, um, he, he's very reactive, uh, as to where the defense is coming, uh, the one right after this. Yeah. Um, where he's able to snake dribble through a lot of guys, uh, you'll see right here where he sees that reach coming from that arm and he pulls back really quickly. Um, a guy with that much power and, and that react react level of reactivity uh, with handle is something that's, that's pretty rare. Um, and, and like I said, the, the control of pace that he has with this handle um, in, in combination with how he simultaneously moves with his handle uh, it was what really impressed me in terms of the driving ability.
0: Yeah. So, so much raw athleticism that he brings to the table and, I say raw athleticism because I still don't think Whitmore knows how to properly leverage that at all times. I think if you watch a lot of those clips, it's Villanova trying to put him in positions to go hard to his left hand, or it's just him blowing past guys and being able to finish over the top because he is so gifted. I think there's a really high ceiling for him to learn how to use that athleticism a little bit more. And what Stone and I are now going to watch through, and I mistakenly pulled up the first time, are a couple of clips of Cam that he can continue to learn from. So we had mentioned right off the top that he's at his best when he's driving to his left right now or when he can quickly catch and go off of a closeout. He knows what he's doing before he catches the basketball. If he doesn't know, he tends to be a lot more of a catch-hold-survey and it kills a lot of the flow and the ball movement of the team offense. It allows help defenders to be able to load up towards him a little bit more, and he's just not quite equipped or quick enough as a playmaker to counteract some of those more organized defensive sets. So here he is catching the ball, kind of holding and surveying. Doesn't quite have the ability to create separation, and we'll see a common theme here, a lot of self-created tough mid-range jumpers which is not an area that he has really been that polished in right now so can't quite get the ball moving catches it on the wing doesn't have the quick reversal and he just kind of sticks to his hand a little bit you see it here wants to throw that post entry can't do it now he's dancing in place ends up taking a really tough contested mid-range pull up and a lot of these clips are a little bit more so just about hey I don't know where to go with the ball when I don't have that first option available to me. So you'll see it again in this clip right here, ball gets swung to him. He wants to continue to swing that can't quite do it because the Butler defender is playing more in the passing lane. So what does cam do? It's a, it's a very young kind of immature player tendency. Just put the ball on the floor and start dribbling in place and wait for something to happen for you. Whether that's a ball screen that comes to set for you, or just hoping that you're going to be able to play one-on-one in those areas. So one of the big concerns for Whitmore is how he plays with others, fits into a scheme. Is he going to be the type of guy that kills ball movement on possessions and tries to go one-on-one? And something that Stone and I will talk about a little bit later, can you develop that feel over time? Because as a scout, I'm just not quite good enough to really know, is feel something you can develop.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing you'll notice here too is he he can create space with his step back. We've seen it in like I think 3 of these clips now where he's he's creating a, an ample amount of space with the transfer of energy and the time it takes for him to load up after getting that step back as a shooter like right there. That's that's a long load time from that step back to the transfer of energy to his upper body to get that shot off. Um but I think one way you can adjust to that, at least in the short term, you know, there's, I think there's, um, like I said in the beginning, I'm not a shot doctor, but I think there's ways to speed that up a bit. Um, But in the short term, while that process is taking place, I think he can still create space. Um, And it's a matter of, we'll get into the feel like you said, but teaching, I think once you create that space, don't let it go to waste, find a cutter with that space, find guys you can you can pass to or, or um, outlets because you've now created an advantage. You don't want to just give that up by taking a long time to load up. Uh, I think there's other ways in the short term where he, he figures out how to speed up that load time that you can still take advantage of that space creation even if it's not with the shot uh, currently.
0: Yeah, and, and look, I, I love that point that you made there, Stone. Cam has a slower jump shot right now. It's effective and efficient when he has time to get it off, and I think when he catches the ball on the perimeter, a lot of defenders are sagged off him a little bit more than they are most. And it's it's not because they're necessarily daring him to shoot. It's because they're so damn afraid of that first step. So he has a little bit more of a cushion where the slower release of a jumper doesn't kill him before he's put the ball on the floor. But once he starts dribbling and then he goes into that step back, that's where the slow jump shot kind of, comes to foil him a little bit more because defenders can anticipate that he's out of other options. He's committed to trying to get into that shot. And that's what we see right here from Arthur Kaluma. dribbles in place, tries to go to that step back. That's too slow. And a really good long wing defender is going to get their hands on it. So he's got to learn to play in other ways in that regard. Here he is trying to drive into the lane. And and this is just a set of clips of what I call tunnel vision, right? A guy who, as soon as he commits to his drive, is trying to bully his way to the basket. And again, I'm a victim of this because I've coached against Cam Whitmore. Like, he can get away with this stuff at the high school level. He could even get away with it in AAU basketball. But we started to see in the Big East, you can't just drive through two guys and be able to make that stuff happen. And, and it's not just about the desire to want to go get his points at the rim but it's the open teammates that he misses, the process to it. I mean, very easy for him to see as he's reverse pivoting around who the open guy is. By the way, Eric Dixon, really good three-point shooter. is a stretch big. Watched him play a ton in high school, and that guy has ridiculous touch. This should be an easy kick out and read right up the lane line to his open spot-up shooter. But instead, he's just trying to muscle his way through things. So feel is not just defined as, what do I do to take advantage of the space that I create? But it's, am I not going to force the ball through spots where I don't have space? And again, this this play here, like he's taking way too long in the lane. I love that he plays off two feet and can be a controlled, balanced, jump stop or stride stop guy, but you've got to use that to make quick decisions. You get in the lane right here and you're off to, he's so low to the ground. He's kind of shrunk against a bigger defender. You've got to be reverse pivoting and either turn this into a shot or a kick out and you see Colby Jones from Xavier just slowly start to come down and anticipate knowing that Cam Whitmore is going to go up with it. And there are too many times this year where he had opportunities to get in the lane. The shot wasn't there for him. And then he just kind of torpedoed the possession again, a lot of ball movement here from Villanova. And then it turns into ISO ball where he's just trying to force it over the top of some different defenders. So A lot to clean up feel-wise there with Cam Whitmore. And and I I do think that he's capable of, of doing a lot of that because he is so young. But I want to ask you a couple questions here about that specifically, Stone. How comfortable do you feel on him kind of becoming a number one option in an NBA offense someday, seeing a lot of the traits that we've just watched on film? Unreal athleticism, but maybe some questionable feel in terms of what shots he takes and how he creates for others.
1: Yeah, I think um, I I don't have a high level of comfortability giving that sort of um, expectation to anybody outside of like your your Wembenyama types of prospects, right? Like, I think um, obviously you want your prospects to be as high level as possible, but I think expecting that out of Every guy, even because I mean, Cam's probably going to be like your fourth or fifth guy on the board. Um, and I think expecting that is tough, but also there's room for it to happen. I think he has as much room as anybody uh, in this class to be that. Um, I think that the the feel issues, um, feels interesting because I think, um, there's different levels to it. I don't think you have to be, you know, this Lonzo ball, ball type, like feel guy where it's off the charts and, and you just inherently know what you're supposed to do with the basketball. Like I think that sort of elite feel you're either born with it or not. Like I'm, I'm a believer in that where if you're at that level of feel um, it, it's really hard to teach up to that. But I think you can improve upon things that we just went over in, in cams film where um, yeah, he, there's missed reads. Maybe he's not making the, the right, um, the passes out. Those are things that I think are fixable. Like you're not, asking him to be a half court creator. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, making whip passes to the skip on, on skip passes to the corner or anything um, where he knows, you know, this help defender is going to come and, and immediately I have an open slot. I think more so it's just teaching him reps of this is what you do once you get help coming towards you, or this is um, what happens if you're in that position where you're crouched low against a big. Um, I think there's ways to work around it and for him to improve without having to be this elite field guy and and still be like, have an opportunity opportunity to be that number one prospect because he brings enough scoring value um, in other ways. It's just a matter of, can he leverage that in in multitude of ways rather than primarily focus on it every single time?
0: Yeah. And and look, there's a lot of scoring areas that he needs to clean up in order to evolve into a, a high level creator at the NBA level, even for himself, right? He's, not great at decelerating right now, so he doesn't have much of a runner or a floater in his bag. We talked about the the step back or those pull-up jumpers being a little bit slower, so space tends to disappear rather quickly when he tries to go into them. And again, he oftentimes tries to finish through multiple bodies instead of taking those easy ones. So there is development, and I think I really appreciate what you said, feel is not just about turning into Tyrese Halliburton or Alonzo ball with everybody. It's just getting some people to maximize kind of who they are, what they have and understand how to play basketball with others. So I guess maybe instead of asking, is he going to be more of a number one option? Like let's give you a a blank canvas for this stone. What do you think the best usage for cam Whitmore is going to be on offense? How do you get the most out of him in a team scheme?
1: Yeah, I think. there's different answers because I think it's dependent on different stages of his growth. I think early on, like I mentioned um, he has trouble, you know, speeding up that shot, but I think a good way for him to um, not only take advantage of the space that he creates, but understand um, get those reps that we talked about as more of a a field type passer guy is once he creates that space, look to pass more to, to put schemes around him where there's a lot of cutters often, and put him in a place where he can leverage that still without having to be the shooter, without having to be the scorer. I think early on that allows him to get the reps he needs as someone that can develop more of that feel um, without having to have the pressure of you know making every shot once he creates an advantage. Uh, I think in the future, the, the hope for me um, with Cam is that uh, he potentially could be that go-to scorer, right, where he's um, able to score getting to the rim at will, um, is a free-throw tank because he just draws so much contact with his strength and can absorb so much um, and is able to be comfortable enough in the shot to where uh, the, the shot's sped up a bit. Um, he's comfortable being a, a really solid spot-up guy, and the passing is good enough to be able to leverage that scoring. It's not elite. It's it, My optimal version of Cam Whitmore doesn't involve him being like a 10-assist guy or anything like that. I think you can still optimize a number one scoring option without having elite playmaking. I look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard. I'm not comparing them as prospects or players. I'm just saying in that sort of role, he's taken a while to develop where he is even currently as that sort of playmaker. I think he really came into his own on the Clippers as that. Um, And I think there's room for guys to be really, really impactful um, as offensive weapons without being super high level um, creators uh, for, for teammates.
0: I like that. Yeah, I like the way that's phrased. So Stone, look, we, we've talked a lot about the offensive end of the floor. I think defense is really important for the two prospects that we're going to break down today. I have had this kind of newfound theory of trying to break down defensive tape or evaluate prospects as defenders, and it's something I've tried out this year. I want to see long-term if it's the right strategy for this, but it's kind of twofold. The first option is what are the tools like? let's just evaluate the physical things, what we think they can do, what positions they can guard, how they move, how big they are, et cetera. The second question is how far away are they from maximizing those tools? What do they need to be taught in terms of rotations to stay on the floor and be a good help defender? What do they need to continue to gain and sharpen out to maybe take away some of the poor habits that they might have? Like, All of those things factor into the equation. So let's try to apply that two-pronged process here. What's your take on the tools for Whitmore?
1: Uh, I think apart from the wingspan, they're about as good as you can get. Um, I think that um, being able to be as bouncy and as strong as he is allows him to be someone that you could feel comfortable being on bigger guys and being possibly like a low man, a help side rim protector. Um, I think the ability to get as low as he can, he has, he has underrated flexibility. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. people see how strong he is, how, how bulky he is. And I think a lot of people are, it's hard for them to envision somebody like that being as flexible as he is. But I think he does have that to his game. Um, and, you know, the, the combine measurements came in with the wingspan. It's not great. Um, but I think that with the level of athleticism he has, it's not a detriment either. Like I think, um, you can be a good defender um, without having that sort of elite wingspan. And I think the lateral mobility helps with that because I think he is um, flexible. He has good shin angles, I feel like. So all those things sort of make up for what he lacks maybe in in length um, and I think allows him to be still somewhat of a versatile defender.
0: I love one of my favorite micro skills in this entire class is the way that Cam Whitmore guards the post and he swims in fronts and, and battles and is so strong to be able to hold his ground down there. I view him as being super switchable up the lineup. I wonder a little bit about it down. Uh, you know, I, I think the points about like flexibility and bend and shin angles are all really important things that you look for and try to identify those traits but I I think he's probably more of like a 2 through 4 defender switchable across some of those positions and if you absolutely had to on the right five man and you knew you you knew you were going to switch everything anyway you could probably get away with playing him at the five and saying like hey uh Steven Adams I dare you to try to post me up a little bit like <laughs> hey come on down Jakob Bertle. let's see what you can do down here I'm going to swim around and try to create some turnovers so I do think that there are a lot of tools in the bag for Whitmore to be a positive defender, but that second prong here about how far away is he from being able to fit? I'm less optimistic on, I I think that he's got a lot of work to clean up, particularly off ball. He stands up a lot. He loses guys around screens and baseline actions. Like there wasn't a lot of high level processing that he was able to really go through this year at Villanova to stick with his man and, and prove that there's a lot of ability for him to just make an impact as a team defender from day one. So I think any team that ends up with Cam Whitmore on their roster has to take that with a grain of salt. Like we draft folks are projecting him to be a really good defender down the line, but there also probably needs to be that, that acknowledgement that it's not going to happen from day one because let's face it, like he's 18 years old. He missed a really important part of this season with an injury, which is the the training camp period that really allows him to understand Villanova's teaching points and and base defense. He doesn't have that many reps in his high school career coming out of there because he faced a lot of different injuries. He had some time off during the pandemic where the league he was playing in didn't have a full season. Like there's just a lot of reasons why he's somewhat inexperienced basketball wise, you can hope he'll get that time back as he gets more reps on the defense event, but man, rookie year, like it's probably not going to be pretty as a helper team defender.
1: Yeah. I don't necessarily even disagree at all. I think, um, I think for the most part, I mean, you expect your rookies to be bad defensively yeah. as bad as that may sound. Um, there's, there's obviously guys like, you know, Jorace Walker that you expect that out of them um, because that's what you're drafting them for. But I think, Uh, With Cam, it it does come with, you know, um, he's going to take a little time to really understand where he needs to position himself, the more technical aspects of everything. Um, I think he has decent footwork. Like, I I think the tools are there. I think the foundation is laid for him to be a really good defender. I think ironing out some of those smaller things to me are fixable. I think it might take a little time, but I think uh, having that foundation is like the biggest step for me, right? Being able to have the tools, have the um, capability of, of executing defenses. That's like the, the first step. And I think he has that, uh, that the next step is the more technical attributes. And I think some of them, he's not far away. Like having good footwork, I think is important for a lot of guys, um, especially someone of his size. Uh, I think having the the bend and flexibility like I talked about plays into some of that footwork as well. So there's different microcosms that work in an ecosystem defensively of each other and, and of what Cam can be. Um, and I think honing in and getting him those reps uh, throughout the season is just going to be important. Um, putting him against guys that are maybe second units to begin uh, defensively. You don't have to Play him with the starters every single game. I think getting him against guys that are, um, you know, bigger forwards and things like that, or even guards um, to figure out exactly, you know, how, how does he want to move with this player? How does he want to react and, and things like that? Uh, getting him those reactive type repetitions is important. And I think, like you mentioned, it might take a little time.
0: Yeah, and look, he's always been the most athletic player on the floor at every level that he's been at. Those guys tend to need a little bit of work when the athleticism playing field starts to level out a little bit more because they can't just rely on that to make plays in the defensive end. So with all of that said about Cam Whitmore, we went about 25 minutes on him. Where is he at right now on your board, Stone? June 6th, where do you have Cam
1: Whitmore? Um, Fourth. Fourth on my board. Fourth
0: quite high i have him sixth on mine the next player that we're going to talk about here very different type of prospect (laughs) is anthony black out of arkansas like a six seven point guard uh maybe plays some different positions other than that based on the players you surround him with rough season in some regards at arkansas because this was an offense that provided uh i don't want to say none spacing but like close to none spacing, which is a really hard offense for particularly in the half court for a non-shooting big guard who likes to operate with the ball in his hands to be able to positively contribute. And we're going to watch some clips on Anthony black. Now he might've leveraged any semblance of space to his advantage. I think he's a really smart offensive creator and a great high level processor of the game with the ball in his hands, that quintessential high field player, but stone I want to start with you on Anthony Black. Give us the overview, kind of your pitch for where you're at on him.
1: Yeah, uh, somebody else I'm I'm very high on. Um, I think the innate high-level feel that I talked about with guys um, like Lonzo or something like that, I think that applies to Anthony Black. Like, I think he just innately has that level of feel um somebody that that's the type of that's my weakness everyone in the draft community has their their archetype weakness for me it's guys that are just crazy high feel um I think that he has that I think he like you mentioned the context surrounding him at Arkansas is very important I think for a couple of these Arkansas guys and I think going back um and bringing some of that high school context with you in your evaluation of camp or of a uh, anthony black excuse me is is important because um he is best in space like that's where he thrives that's where he makes those the most impact um he's an absolute transition beast uh he's gonna start your fast break with crazy hit ahead passes um or, or just really push it and can find guys like really free-flowing type offenses um I think the defense is really, really strong. Yeah. We'll get to where I think I have a little bit of worry and concern, but I think for the most part, it projects really strong. Um, just a high-level two-way field guy that I think um, I have a lot of faith in because there's multitude of ways for him to become successful in the NBA, and I think we'll get to that in a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think that that's exactly where I'm at with him. Is I love the idea of him being a jumbo initiator, that guy who can really put pressure on the defense by driving into a spread lane and making the right decision. But he's more than that as an offensive player. And uh, like you, I love the defensive stuff. I probably love it a little bit more than you do in some regard. That's where I've really bought into Ant. So let's take a look at a couple of the, the film clips that we have here on a guy like Anthony Black. Uh, number zero for Arkansas. What he loves most is getting to his right hand and downhill. And, look, I'm a coach. I always kind of pay attention to scheme, what offenses are doing, what defenses are doing against guys. I want you to watch a lot of the spacing that Arkansas is going with here. I think Eric Musselman, the head coach there, made an adjustment that whenever he wanted to put the ball in Anthony Black's hands and play out of a ball screen, they would run some variation of Spain pick and roll that they would have two guys in the middle third of the floor trying to set screens for each other, for Anthony Black, back screen, different combinations of Spain-ish concepts while spacing other two guys out on the perimeter. It was their best chance of keeping the lane spread for Anthony. And you'll see in a lot of these, like here's Jordan Walsh zipping right up the lane line, he just takes advantage of that space whenever he has it. loves to drive hard to his right hand. Here just comes a flat ball screen kind of angled in there, snaking back to his right hand. The combination of burst to hit the hole early, like we saw in the first clip against Tennessee, and then here the patience to come back to his right hand, snake it really strong. I I love this finish that he gets to, and I'm just going to use this over and over as a teaching point for my own players. Gather into a stride stop, one, two step into somebody's chest, able to absorb contact and finish like that is as good as it gets getting downhill to his right hand.
1: Yeah. And I think the strength is really important with black. I think it's one of the most like under discussed parts of like top prospects in this class is Anthony Black's strength. Like I think he's just really, really strong look at his lower body. And I mean, his thighs are like massive, like he's got a lot of power in his lower body. Uh, And I think the ability, uh, the base of where He takes off from is important because he knows, you know, I have this really strong lower body, but I can also take contact from the top. And I think having like a real balanced and and, and inherent knowing of how your body is going to um, absorb contact in, in the air is important because that's it all starts from his legs. That's where he takes off from. And I think he puts himself in the best position to to finish through that through where he takes off from.
0: Yeah. And you'll see it again here, like smaller guy in front of him. He just plows him over. Like Anthony Black is super, super strong. Again, middle of the floor screening combination. That's so hard to do to just have the patience to get downhill, take the space, and then immediately one, two into that with touch off the glass. It's a really difficult finish. Contact with the left shoulder, touch with the right hand. I love yeah. the hesitation and change of speeds here, too. Go ahead there, Stone.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say you look at that clip in particular where he's getting off from because he he's making it as easy on himself as he can. Obviously, it's a tough finish, but without having to adjust his arms too drastically in the air because he's taking off from a place where he feels I can I can make this with my really good touch um, without having to, you know, put his arms around guys and in. Uh, spin or anything in the air. Like he, he knows exactly he's going to make this as simplistic a uh, finish as he can because of how he takes off from the ground. Yep.
0: And again, he sees a sliver of space or a one-on-one matchup with a rim protector. He feels confident that he can score it. I love the change of speeds here. That is an ability that when you're really, really strong, a lot of times you, you think the guys are just going to put their head down and go through guys. We saw that with cam Whitmore a little bit. He doesn't quite have that set that, change of speeds, that deceleration once he gets going. Anthony Black is really deceptive with the ball in his hands. That's a great hesitation. Gets his man on his hip and then is able to use his left shoulder to create more space for that finish. So just how he discards of guys and is able to finish through contact and just make lighter, smaller bodies around him, not interrupt him in any way, is really important, particularly thinking – is Anthony Black going to be our point guard moving forward? Is he going to play the one for us? That means most of the time he's going to have smaller defenders on him. Like, I have a really hard time seeing a lot of ones in the current NBA stopping him from getting to his spots. And when you combine that with the craft that he has in ball screens, it's really, really important. There we see a hostage dribble into a floater. Again, going to his right is where he wants to try to go. Kind of draws out two defenders off the screens. patient keeps his dribble alive. Another hostage dribble into that strong, controlled uh, floater and touch layup off the glass. Move the ball around to him here. Keeps his eyes up. And now we're getting into the real fun stuff here, Stone. The playmaking feel. And Anthony Black, by my measure, is one of the best passers in this draft class and probably one of the most underrated passers that we might have talked about the last couple of draft cycles because, as you'd mentioned at the top, like the context, the film, the the high school level of all this is really important. This is not optimal spacing or roles for him at Arkansas, but how he sees on this middle roll and raise that that guy's going to be open is really hard to do. That quick read was fantastic, and we're just going to gush over a couple playmaking clips here from Anthony Black. Again, middle of the floor, pick and roll, draws two out to him, just makes a simple play over the top. Because he's a taller point guard, he can make those reads and throws over the top. This is an impressive pass here. The second clip against Vanderbilt, trying to be a little bit more aggressive defensively, a little bit of a Spain pick and roll with a corner raise and like a shake action behind it. He just quickly sees – all of these black shirts in the lane throws that hook pass over the top. It's the combination of feel and vision with being a six-seven point guard that's going to allow him to actually make all of the passes that he sees are open. Drag ball screen, little hesitation. That is the perfect kind of hostage dribble right here because he doesn't slow himself down so much, but he hesitates enough. To freeze the big man, that allows the rim to be open. He sees there's no tag or a late or low tag, and he just floats that perfectly over the top. I mean, this is unbelievable touch and feel and vision that he's making in split-second decisions.
1: Yeah, and and you look, I mean, across the league in in, in past prospects, like the best, the, the prospects that have panned out like to be some of the most impactful, and there's a multitude of ways, obviously, to impact basketball, but a lot of it stems from just elite, quick calculations and processing, right? Like those snap decisions of you see multiple guys in different positionings, you not only understand how you can get that pass to a player or in Anthony Black's case, like how how you're going to make that pass, but also what are the second set of reactivity and consequences that come from that? How is that pass now shifting the defense and, and how that player can get that shot off. Uh, and I think Anthony Black is one of the better guys at that, where it's he, he not only sees there's an open pass, but he sees what happens right after I make this pass. And even
0: beyond that, and that's where I think this is the perfect segue, he sees a play ahead. He anticipates a lot of the rotations from a defense and uses that to proactively make the right reads. I talk a lot about reactive versus proactive passers. The best passers are proactive. They understand where the defense is about to go and they throw a pass that anticipates and exploits that. So we see that right here, getting downhill kind of in the full court. You're going to see probably a rim protector here for Missouri have to step up and then a backside two-on-one that forces the left-wing defender for the Tigers to sink and fill. And Anthony Black doesn't even get below the lane and anticipates that sink and fill rotation, throws the ball out of the skip pass to the wing. So proactive and smart as a passer. Different type of situation and read on the play here. Getting downhill splits before he even gets all the way to the basket. You'll see him anticipate – that Ryan Kalkbrenner, the the big man defender for Creighton, is going to have to commit to him. Easy dump off, wide open dunk for his his teammate.
1: Yeah, and we're talking a lot about you know the vision that's stemming from it, but over the past few years of doing this, it's really become important to me on accuracy and placement of passes, yeah. right? Because if you throw, you can make an awesome read like Anthony Black often does, but if you're throwing that pass and it's too high for a shooter and out of their pocket and they have to readjust now that takes away a lot of the advantage that you just created in that space and time that you gave that shooter, but because he's making them like picture perfect right in the exact zone that he needs to with almost every pass he makes. Um, he, he's keeping that advantage alive, right? Um, basketball is all about advantage creation and, and taking that advantage creation as far as you can and i think anthony black does that not only with what we talked about with the proactive vision and all that but also the placement of where he's yep. putting these passes yep
0: and they're soft touch ones they're not bullet passes that guys like fumble to try to catch like this is just so softly delivered i want to talk about the eyes a lot here stone because i think proactive ball handlers and the best of the best passers they use their eyes to manipulate the help defense to get them to go in one direction so that they can open up something else that they really want in another. So I'm going to try to pause and feel our way through this clip. It it may seem really stop starting and choppy here, but it's one of my favorites of this draft cycle from any prospect, Anthony black coming off of a, a pick and roll coming to his right hand. He's got a double shake kind of filled behind him with two shooters behind. That'll start to fill up as the roll happens. And that gives him a lot of backside defenders, to have to read in this situation. So as he comes off the screen, you'll see here, Louisville starts to show two to the ball, be a little bit more aggressive, which is going to force a tag. As soon as Anthony Black knows that the corner guy is going to tag off Jordan Walsh, by the way, a non-shooter, he is essentially thinking, if I look at the corner and I fake a pass over there, or I at least look intently enough, like that's where I'm throwing it, the tagger is not going to go all the way to the rim and that allows him to throw a no-look dime directly in there for a layup. Again, I'll show that one more time at full speed. Coming off of it, holds it over his head with the intent of getting the help defender and the tagger to go to the corner. We've seen so many different examples of how he uses his eyes to kind of look guys off. What an unbelievable pass this is. Be able to come hard to his right hand. Now he anticipates that that tag is happening on time, right? We're here a little bit later in the game in the second half. Same exact action. Same exact play. Here comes the roll. The tag is already in place and underneath that. Help defender saying, I'm not falling for that again. And he, accuracy. Uh,
1: look at the placement, yeah.
0: Placement and accuracy. Live dribble, one hand skip pass with the appropriate read. Perfectly in the shot pocket. I mean, that progression right there from Anthony black is what we look for in the best of the best passers and playmakers. They are guys who make the right read. They make it quickly. They tell the defense what's going to happen and manipulate them. And they have no mistakes with the placement. It's unreal.
1: Yeah. And I I love that you brought up that one clip of the manipulation because that's something like each year I try and find a couple of things that, I really didn't focus as hard on the previous and I try to just each year build on my evaluation skills. And I think for me, manipulation of creation has become a really big thing for me this cycle. Um, I I noticed it a lot with Anthony black, um, another guy like uh, Nikola Jurisic, which obviously we're not talking about, but just the, the guys who can really, really pass, how do they get to their passes without having elite handles? Like, anthony black isn't the most explosive out of his handle but because he's so manipulative he can make guys think he's going one way with a pass not even with his scoring right he he doesn't necessarily have to position his body in a way that is making them think he's scoring but like you said with the head fakes on that last um that last clip uh it can really do a lot and if you have that level of I, I don't even know what to call it. I guess, like I you said, feel. I feel like it doesn't do enough justice yeah. <laughs> to what we're seeing. But um, that innate ability to know exactly how that defense is going to react, and you can take advantage of it, like that—that's something that you can't really get out of reps. I feel like that's that's something that I think you just innately have as a basketball player, and the select few that are lucky to have it, uh, I think, take advantage, like Anthony Black does.
0: I'm so glad stone that you brought up this idea of us trying to improve as evaluators year after year, because one of the lessons that I have learned and what I'm leaning more into in this draft class is to reward those highest field guys, that they're the ones who tend to make it up or tend to make it in the league, particularly if they have positional size, that combination is huge. And in the past, I would have really held a lack of shooting against the guy that the NBA is all about shooting nowadays, shooting, 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 shooting every role player has it. Every good player can shoot. But when you live in the lane and you make such smart decisions with the basketball, you almost become the guy that just needs to be surrounded with shooting. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but shooting being one of those skills that yes, can continue to be developed at the NBA level. So I do want to make sure that we talk about some of the challenges that Anthony Black may have in utilizing some of his playmaking skills at the next level, particularly out of ball screens. And this is something that a lot of teams ended up doing to him and to Arkansas this year, a team that didn't have a ton of floor spacing and Anthony Black having questionable pull-up mechanics and poor results. They went underneath ball screens. So we're going to watch a bunch of clips here of how teams would try to guard Anthony Black and what would end up happening as a result. Essentially here, they're daring him to shoot, right? When teams go underneath ball screens, they say, we'd rather meet you on the other side, and the open spot for you right now is to be able to shoot this. I don't love the form. I don't love the mechanics of it. But LSU was big in this game on just going underneath screens. And at the very least, Anthony Black was comfortable in at least attempting them. We saw it a lot in the NCAA tournament a little bit later going under screens. And you'll see in this example here against Connecticut, go under the first, he sees it, they rescreen, get him just a little bit lower, takes the same type of shot. But the results have not been very strong in a lot of these areas. Now this possession, this is a big one here in the Kansas game. Kansas went way under a bunch of these actions. Just watch how lane protected they are. They end up switching and staying underneath everything. Like they're not even getting close to the three-point line with Anthony Black being above it in the middle of the floor. And you definitely have to worry about the shot never coming around because this is going to be how he'll be guarded As a result, a lot of teams just going under, daring him to shoot and saying, you know what, you might not be able to meet us on the other side. Therefore, you can't really harness your top skill on offense, which is to make galaxy brain decisions for yourself and for others and really be strong getting into the lane. Dare him to become a jump shooter. It is going to be an important trait for him to develop. So let's use that as the segue here, Stone where are you at with the shot with Anthony black?
1: I am cautiously optimistic is the way I'll I'll frame it. Um, because I think I really like the touch with Anthony black. And I think that's an important aspect of viewing shooting projection. Uh, I think the touch off the glass has been amazing this year. Uh, the floaters, Um, that, that's something that he's carried over from high school too. That's not like any sort of new, fresh development. That's something he's had. Um, the motion again, I'm not a a shot doctor, but I've, I've learned a lot from my co-host Bryce on how to evaluate jump shooting a bit. Um, it's very much a two motion jump shot where he's generating a lot of power from his legs and then wrist. It's not a free flowing form form when he's putting it up. Um, there's also... The interesting thing I've noticed uh, with guys like that who are not great shooters, generally the load time takes a while. Um, And the important aspect of that, which it, it's not all that important if you're actually like a decent shooter, but when you're not confident in your shot or when you are, are having trouble shooting, um it takes away less opportunity for reps because now you're in a place where you have to wait till you're pretty open to be able to get that release point off and have the time to do that rather than someone that can immediately just get it, catch and put it up pretty quickly. Right. You you don't have that level of load time that you have to wait for. Um, So it takes away a level of reps because now you have less chances to do that because there's going to be less often times that you're going to have that, um, that space to get the shot off. So I I think reps are important practice wise for him. This is a, a, place where i think you know getting as many practice shots as you can in before games after games um that's going to be really important and i think the touch is a significant factor in in why i'm cautiously optimistic
0: sure so I'll, I'll be the devil's advocate here then and this isn't necessarily my take it's just kind of what i think the counterpoint to a lot of this would be which is that he's got a very stiff shot in some regards right now that while there's tough There's touch. He needs to be very set and square and gotten into his rotation. And then he doesn't dip the ball at all. He tries to keep it almost at chest level and then have very replicable mechanics from there that there's not this rhythm dip to it. And I think a lot of the reason for that is to, like you mentioned, eliminate some of the time that he probably needs to be a, hey, let's put a lot of great work into getting set and then be able to fire our shot, if he adds a dip to that, it just takes too much time. But he's also a set shooter in the sense that he doesn't really get a lot of elevation on his catch and shoot looks. He's a good athlete, but he tends to stand there and very, very minimally get off the ground in a lot of his shots. And a lot of times that is driven by reps as a catch and shoot guy, but it doesn't translate really well to live dribble creation and mid-range pull-ups in particular. That if he's taking threes when teams go underneath screens, they're daring him to do so. He's going to have the room to get, sh- get himself set and square and rise into that shot. But if he doesn't have that room, live dribble pull-up scoring is just going to be really hard for him to do. He's got to get deeper into the lane so he can use that runner, which is so great. Otherwise, that like – 14 to 18 foot range and area is just going to be a kind of a zero from Anthony black in that regard. So I don't know if I buy the pull-up mechanics enough to think that he's just not going to continue to face under coverage in ball screens. I'm with you. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the catch and shoot stuff coming around because there is touch. There's a lot of repetition and work that he continues to put in there, but I don't think the mechanics translate to pull-up success in a way that at least has me slightly worried about what his overall usage is going to be. And if he can really be a high rep pick and roll guy.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where I'm, That that's the biggest portion of my cautious optimism as a whole with Anthony black is that I am hedging my bets with where I have him. We'll get to that, I guess in a little bit, but I am as, as Even as high as I have him, I feel like that's hedging my bets because I'm cautiously optimistic of the primary initiation stuff, right? Without the pull-up, I think that limits a lot of the primary initiation equity, but he he's provides so much value as a passer and as a guy who can still attack closeouts and attack the rim as a driver um, and a defender where even more of a connective role, I think he provides yep. really high-level value. So even if the initiation stuff doesn't work out because the pull-up never comes around, I'm still very optimistic that he's going to be a high-level NBA impactful player because he can still fill that connective role uh, uh, very, very well.
0: I totally agree with that, Stone. So we need to talk about the defense a little bit because we're doing that two-pronged breakdown again the tools and then how far away he is from realizing and actualizing a lot of those tools. Where are you at with Anthony black as a defender in terms of what his tools show he can be and where his upside will become. Uh,
1: yeah, I think that he is really strong. Like you mentioned, I, I, I buy the equity of, of scaling up in rotations um, against bigger guys, actually more than I do against opposing guards. I think that he's stronger, has a really strong base. Um, I think he is really smart with directions of where guys can attack from. Um, I think that allows him to uh, see things before they happen on the perimeter. And I like him in a role where he's able to process things from – a place not at the point of attack because now you're putting him in a place where he's able to process more of what's going on the court and can have more of his anticipatory anticipatory skills shine rather than more reactivity um and i think that he as a defender is actually best when he's more anticipatory rather than reactive
0: i think that's a great way of encapsulating it there um Positional versatility is a big thing on the defensive end of the floor. Can you guard multiple types of players? And if you garner a roster with several of those guys, you end up switching at the point of attack, and that negates a lot of advantages that are gained by ball screens. You negate even more of those if you can't be posted up as a result because you all have positional size and you're strong enough to hold your own in the post. So I think Anthony Black checks all the boxes for what you would look for in a switchable defender. My co-host of the Game Theory Podcast, and I shouldn't say co-host, he calls me his co-host, but he runs the fucking show, Sam Vecini. Uh, He uses the phrase basketball genius a lot. I think he uses it maybe a little bit too much. Like I'm really selective with how I would use that terminology. I kind of think Anthony Black's a basketball genius. We talked about and we showed the clips of how he does that on the offensive end of the floor. But a pristine help defender and rotational guy. Really good at digging down into, you know, opposing drives when he's guarding off the ball. Great stunts and bluff and recover areas that just strand some guys as, as they're trying to make decisions with the basketball. He plays that cat and mouse game. Like you said, he can be anticipatory, shoot passing lanes, know when to try to jut out for steals. But he doesn't overdo it. He knows when to go. And that, we want to talk about feel and things that can't be taught, like knowing when to go can't really be taught. You can sit down and dissect the film and try to talk about the possession that just happened. And hey, if this ever happens again, don't do it the same way. But you just kind of got to know when to go. And Anthony Black has that. I'm really actually optimistic on the point of attack defense. And I think that he loves to hound guys in the full court, extend his pressure beyond the three-point line. I think with his length, his quick hands – And he's a guy that moves his feet without fouling and takes contact to his chest while doing so. Those are all skills and traits I really look for at the point of attack. Uh, I've heard some people that don't love how he gets through screens at times that he kind of lays through, through Is that kind of where where you're at? at? Yeah. Okay. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Try to sell me on that idea.
1: Um, I I think that, I mean, it's tougher, obviously, too, when you're his size to get through screens. Uh, I think that uh, that does play a factor. But also, I think that he just has trouble navigating what happens after he gets hit by a screen, what direction, what foot placement he's going to have after that screen gets to him. Uh, I think that it's definitely an improvable thing. So it's not me saying that he's never going to be a great point of attack defender. I think early on he's going to struggle but I think that's something that you can rep out a little bit. So that's where I'm at. I'm not. I'm not, you know, uh, saying that he's uh, he's a bad point of attack option uh, in the long term. I just think early on the screen navigation is going to hinder him uh, quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So two areas where I'm really optimistic about him at the point of attack and getting through screens. One is if we're evaluating tools, I have seen him have the tools and, and the ability to get skinny through screens to stay with guys. You know puff his chest out, have his arms really long and just move his feet side by side with a ball handler. And it's just about tapping into that a little bit more, right? Being aware of when those screens happen. That's the difference between that first phase of, does he have the tools? And that second phase of how far away is he from actualizing them? I do think he has the tools to be really good at getting through screens and navigating over the top of ball screens, but The second reason, really the main reason why I'm so high on him as a point of attack defender, he's switchable. And if you have the right scheme and teammates around him where you're planning to switch, just put him on smaller guys or primary options, hound them beyond the three point line. And if rescue has to come and a screen is there, then you switch it and you're probably going to be okay if you have the right personnel around him. So. Uh, I'm incredibly optimistic on Anthony Black's defense. I think outside of Victor Weminyama and, and maybe Jairus Walker, I think he's the best defender in this class. And I would call him one of the best perimeter defensive prospects that we've seen over the last several years. But that is a reason why I'm super, super high on Anthony Black.
1: Yeah. And I think the knowing when to do things, right, that we talked about. It, it to me it's reminiscent of dyson daniels when he was a prospect that, that really stood out to me and i think black has a lot of those traits where he is someone that's strong enough to defend I, I felt very similar how i did to to daniels defensively where i think he can maybe guard like 1 through 4 um and i think that that's not really like a crazy thing to say because um th- like i said for me there's things to to fix um at the point of attack but i think in due time that will come because of just how smart that he is. Um, and I think that that opportunity allows you to play versatile lineups, to play guys that are maybe smaller if you have like a smaller scoring guard, but you know, you have Anthony black to switch on and help. Um, and maybe it allows you to play all big and you have, Five just really tall guys on the court and, and suffocating defense. Like it allows you to to play in a multitude of ways, and in a way where any given night against the matchup, you can be like your assignment's going to be their four, and then the next night it's going to be their point guard. Like you can just mold him how you want any given night, and I think that's important.
0: So Stone, where on your board do you have Anthony Black at this moment in time, June sixth?
1: Uh, I have him five and it's splitting hairs between him and Whitmore. I've gone back and forth. Uh, I, ultimately, I, I just got to a point where like, I, I'm just going to settle here and not overthink it. Like, this is just my gut feeling. So I, I don't want to, you know, continue to put myself through that sort of stress throughout the rest of the <laughs> cycle is what it came down to. But yeah. you can easily talk me into having him at four.
0: And I have Anthony Black at five on my board and Whitmore at six. I, I do agree. It's, it's pretty close between those two. But I have started to go with Anthony Black for many of the reasons that we talked about earlier when we were discussing our evaluation and evolution as scouts, right? I've identified a weakness in myself. I haven't valued those high field players enough. When it's a tiebreaker in this scenario between the raw tools athlete of Whitmore and the really, really high-field guy who's just a jump shot away from putting it all together, I'm going to give the tie break to the high-field guy. And I think that Anthony Black's intangibles and and character and overall IQ are just things that it's not a negative for Whitmore in those ways, but Anthony Black is so far ahead of almost any other prospect that he's the guy that I'm going to want to bet on, just being at the very least a high-value connective option within our our offense and our defense so a couple quick philosophical questions that i want to use to frame this debate we've just shared kind of who we have above who on our boards or how close it really is but themes of the podcast here one can you teach feel yes or no stone
1: to a degree is i can't give you a yes or no it's to me it's a degree of it
0: i'm stealing and retweeting that answer second question Do we overestimate the ability of players to improve as a shooter when they get to the NBA? Do we overestimate that ability?
1: Yes. I think it's uh, prospect dependent, but I I would lean towards yes.
0: I think we do a little bit as well. I'm not red flag or worried in certain ways about Anthony Black in that regard, but I think it's an oversimplification to just come out and say like, He'll work on it. He's a great kid. He's got a great work ethic. It will come. Like, no, it's not quite that simple. There are some glaring mechanical stuff that really needs to change, and you'd never know if that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people are just assume once you get to the NBA, like everything changes. Like, oh, you get him with the right nutritionist. <laughs> oh, you get him with the right shooting coach. It doesn't just happen because of that. Like, there's a lot of work that goes into that, and it doesn't always pan out for every single prospect. So I I actually would say yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, shit, if it was an automatic to do a lot of those things, like we'd have so (laughs) many more players still thriving in the NBA, but that kind of leads me to the last question that we have here. What wins more in the modern NBA or the playoffs right now? Elite alpha athleticism or elite feel in intangibles.
1: I, I, have since i've started evaluating many years ago many moons ago um it's been feel for me i've always been a feel guy um and now you know i have whitmore higher only be for the the only reason i have whitmore higher is because i feel like there's more scoring equity for him to be a primary type guy than i do anthony black and that doesn't necessarily mean more impactful because i think you can be very impactful, not as a lead scorer, as Anthony Black probably will be. So uh, I've always been a feel guy, and it, it feels contradictory for me to have Cam above Anthony Black now. <laughs> You're making me rethink everything, but I think <laughs> um, feel is ultimately where I land with so many guys.
0: I have swung to team feel over the last couple of years. Um, and and I'm, I think why I'm so high on Anthony Black is because it's not an either or with him. He's a really good athlete. He's a strong basketball player. He uses his athleticism in different ways, but he's one of the highest field guys out there. So I thought this was a great conversation and a really appropriate time as we're, you know, two weeks and change away from the NBA draft to sit down, have a little bit of a philosophy talk in here, but utilize two lottery bound prospects as the right vehicles for doing so. And Stone, as always, You were eloquent, you were well-researched, and a pleasure to be able to chat to with this stuff. One of the most underrated guys in this entire draft space. So before you get out of here, please let everybody know where they can find and follow you if they're not already, and what you have going on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you having me back on. I think this is like the third or fourth time now, and every time I I love our discussions. Um, You could follow me at report underscore court on Twitter. Uh, anything I do draft related will be posted there. I'm also the co-host of the Upside Swings podcast, which is another podcast. If if you don't, um, you know, love this one, uh, and or if you do love this one and you want more, I should say, uh, is how I would frame it. Uh, then we have. Many hours of of evaluations put in, um, and then also uh, we have a website too. So, where if you want to see just our big boards and all of our notes from podcasts, if you don't feel like listening to three hours, which most people don't, um, you could see our brief more notes on that, uh, and everything will be there.
0: Stone is good people. Follow Stone. Hire Stone. We can all learn a lot from him and the draft conversation that he brings forward. Keep it locked here at the Boxing One for a lot more NBA draft-related content. Uh, Some scouting reports continue to come out. We're getting into shorter-form scouts right now as opposed to the 10-20 to minute-long videos that are coming out. Some draft philosophy here, but we're within the two-week phase. It's going to be a lot more interactive film discussion on the podcast and stuff like this. Stone. Great guest. Thank you so much for coming on here and everybody else. Talk to you soon. Bye.